Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hello and welcome back to The Moments That Made Me with me, your host, Roxy Nafusi. I am so excited to introduce this week's guest, DJ Fat Tony. Tony has one of the funniest and most successful meme accounts on Instagram, is an international DJ, producer and LGBTQ plus ambassador for Adidas. He's also the host of his own podcast, The Recovery, where he speaks to guests about their journeys with addiction. I cannot wait to hear his three defining moments moments that led him to where he is today. Hi, Tony. Hi, how are you doing? Are you all right? I'm good. Oh, my goodness. So I remember meeting you in Annabelle's. Right. <laughs> old Annabelle's or new Annabelle's? It was old one. No, it was definitely the old one. Yeah. And I was definitely drunk, high, in not a good way. And, but um, it was good fun. And I haven't seen you in real life since, but have been avidly following your account. I mean, you're just making the nation laugh. How does that feel? Well, you know, Instagram kind of is real life. Do you get what I'm saying? To, to a certain extent, it's kind of, you know, it, we live in this world where we put everything on Instagram or on social media. So kind of everyone knows what you're doing and knows where you are and every hour of the day. It's a little bit creepy, but it's kind of the world we live in. Yeah, I'm good, actually. I'm in a really good place, yeah. Coming out of lockdown again, you know, it, that always brings up a lot of anxiety for a lot of people, especially it, the last time did for me, but this time I'm kind of just looking in a different way. Yeah, I'm in a good place. That's good. Okay, so tell me, what where are you looking at it now that maybe you weren't before? So, well, last time I kind of did this big build-up for shops reopening. <laughs> I kind of was like, oh, my God, I go shopping. Oh, my God. You know, and... Um, I started kind of, but for three days prior, I was building it up and building it up. And then on the day, I had the worst social anxiety ever. I couldn't leave the house. I get, oh my God, I'm going to have to queue. Oh my God, what if I can't get in the, you know, all of that stuff that goes with it. You know, then it went from there. Oh my God, I put weight on. I don't want to be seen. Oh, what if this doesn't fit? And it just went on and on and on. That was just about the shops, let alone about going back to work. <laughs> you know, so this time I'm kind of like, you know, I have no. Uh, preconceptions about anything I'm not sort of like thinking okay Monday I'm going to go and do this Tuesday I'm going to eat in a restaurant I'm going to take it all in in my stride and let it happen organically you know there's no big plans there's no big dramas although saying I am actually DJing on the roof of Selfridges on Monday (laughs) on the roof of Selfridges yeah for the opening so yeah so yeah yeah I think it is so that I don't know I definitely find that when something's gonna open or you feel this pressure to like rush to make a booking I was getting anxiety about I'm not gonna I'm not gonna get in any restaurants because I haven't been quick enough and then I was like oh my god I'm actually I'm actually not in a rush so I'm just gonna wait and then go in my own time I think you know we've we've kind of been 
in and out of lockdown for a year. And I, I think there is no point in rushing any of it. There's no point in rushing coming out of lockdown. There's no point in rushing to go on holiday. You know, like uh, Good Morning Britain wanted me to go on GMTV this morning and talk about uh, my views on going on holiday. And I was like, no, I've already, you know, I've been on holiday for the last year, kind of. Mm. Do you know what I mean? I just want to get back to work. Yeah. It's not about lying on a beach. Because, you know, I went away last year uh, during uh, during the pandemic and after the pandemic in the first break that we had. And I was I went away to work in Ibiza and a few other places. And it really wasn't a holiday. You know, they're going mm-hmm. through exactly what we're going through. So, you know, the the dreams of going away and lying in a, by a pool and sipping cocktails and running along the beach don't exist. Because, you know, the pandemic is <laughs> in every country that you go to. So you still have to wear face masks. You're still not allowed to go on certain beaches. You're definitely not allowed to lie by a lot of pools. So, you know, we had this false preconception of everything. It's kind of mad. It's so true. And I actually think that is so reassuring to hear. So we are going to go in to your first defining moment. I kind of think the biggest one really was the, 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 I'd like to call it the camel that broke the, the, uh, the, the, the camel that broke the straws. <laughs> I was going to say, which is kind of what, because, yeah. you know, I, at the time, you know, uh, I was really, really, really lost and d- dying of addiction. And I was in a club on a Friday night called The Cross, and I worked there. And it was one of my residencies, and I was in the back room. I weighed, at this point, probably seven stone. I'm six foot one, and I weighed about seven stone. I had no teeth left. I'd pulled them all out due to certain drugs, uh, the drugs that I was using. I had a thing called meth mouth, where I thought my mouth was running alive with animals. And I was kind of... <gasps> Uh, insane to say the least yeah at that point that night I remember sitting rocking backwards and forwards uh, tugging at the one tooth that I had left and I would sit sit like which I thought was normal but I would just rock backwards and forwards and I was in the in the green room at the cross which was in King's Cross surprisingly and and in walked my partner at the time and and for the last three years prior to that I, I would be he would come to clubs and drag me out and say to the people that owned it, oh, you're going to find him dead on the floor. So I got him barred for a lot of places. And this night he came in and I'd already been out for about three days. And he came in and I remember turning around thinking, oh my God, what's he doing here? I thought he was barred. And he came over and he put his hand on my shoulder. And instead of the usual, look at you, where have you been? That kind of drama. It was like a gift from God. Because what happened was he put his hand on my shoulder and said, what happened to you? And that was those three words changed my life forever because I looked at him at that point and I just thought, and I couldn't answer the question and I burst out crying. And it really was that um, that moment that, uh, that defined everything, that changed everything because, you know, I left the club then and that was the, the night that I made the decision to change my life because to that up to that point, all I thought about was dying. I thought every day... I'm going to die. This is going to be my funeral. These are the music choices. Who I wanted at my funeral. I had it all planned out. Mm. When, when most people would be like thinking, "Oh, where are we going on holiday?" I was thinking about my funeral because, like, in a in a in a weird way, that's all I had to look forward to. I'd gone to mm. the ends of hell, you know, in that 28 years of using. Uh, the last 10 was survival, and I'd really got to the end of the road, and 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 that night changed my life forever. So just those three words that changed everything for me. Oh my God. I literally have goosebumps. That is just like the most 
I felt like I was with you in that room as you were describing that. So you said that you were using for 28 years. Yeah. And how long did it like, because at the beginning, I suppose everybody starts to use in quite a casual way, in a way that they think. And at what point did it start to become, did it go to the dark side? Yeah, Yeah, I I kind of think, you know, as I always say, there's a thin line between using and abusing. And when you're using drugs, everything's fine. You know, people can use drugs creatively, creationally, you know, and put them in a drawer and blah, blah, blah. But when the drug's suddenly becoming, when you start to abuse that fact and you're the last one up and you're the one still going three days later and everyone else went home to bed two days before, you know, um, you and you realise that that's suddenly becoming a problem, that's kind of when you, those alar- and you get those alarm bells, that kind of just, you know, saying, oh, you shouldn't be doing this anymore, you need to slow down. That kind of... A good point to stop. To go <laughs> but you know, for me, someone like me, I don't have an off bun. I'm an mm. addict. It's in my wiring. I, I have an addictive personality. I suffer from the disease of addiction. So it, it washes over into everything I do. You know, the last, I'd say the first, the first 16, 17 years were fun. And the rest was survival. The rest of it was really... I'd hit rock bottom 12 years before easily. I'd hit right. rock bottom. And, but, you know, I had a job that uh, enabled me to, to be that person. You know, mm. I had a job that I could still leave the house and earn thousands of pounds from DJing. Uh, and, and it enabled me to stay up and it enabled me to be the person I... You know that, that I created. I created this monster as such. Mm. You know, I opened up after our clubs i you know i created scenarios that that enabled me to use of course so you know while the money was coming it never really got become a problem you know i always say that uh, i never really had a problem with alcohol because it never ran out and i you know <laughs> and i didn't it never ran out you know uh apart from 6 a.m in the morning when i'd be standing out shop side the shop waiting for it to open to buy more alcohol but i never ever thought that i had a problem with alcohol yeah. Do you know what I mean? It, it, yeah. It's bizarre. You know, I knew I had a problem with class A drugs and I knew I had a problem with so many other areas of my life, but alcohol wasn't on that list. And I'm a raving alcoholic. I'm, a, you know, it's crazy. Oh my God. I'm just like this. I just can't imagine the the transformation that you've had, even just like, I'm still at the very beginning of your story, but I'm still like, wow, it's amazing to that you're alive. Like, it's actually incredible. Well, you know, to a lot of people, I wasn't. I, I, for years, I would come out of places, and when I started to look like my old self again, I started, you know, like up to two or three years into recovery uh, after getting clean, people would say, oh, my God, I thought you were dead. I would get it all the time. No. Like cab drivers were usually the ones that said it. No. Yeah. They were normally the ones that said it, which was quite funny. You know, because they were all, all, all those old black cab drivers all come from the acid house scene. <laughs> right. they? they were like, you know, the majority of, of, of every black cab driver definitely was at an acid house rave <laughs> at some point in their life. <laughs> so that's what they sort of remember you from. It's kind of bizarre. Yeah. <laughs> so you have this incredible moment. The hand from God is literally on your shoulder. And then how long does it really take from that moment till you are completely clean? Uh, I'd say it didn't happen. It definitely didn't happen overnight. Mm. But what happened was the seeds were planted and the process started. 
That was it. And on the Monday, it was the Friday night. The Monday I went to see my GP. He suggested that I go to a drug drop-in centre, which I went to in City Road. And I started attending there and I managed to get myself a key worker and stuff. So the desire to stop using and to change my life was there. The pilot light had cut, suddenly come on. The fact that I no longer wanted to die, that I wanted to live. So that, you know, but I had, you know, I, as I said, it was 28 years of learned behaviour. And what was I going to do if I got sober? What was I going to do if I got clean? What was I going to do about those behaviours? Who was I going to become? I couldn't DJ again. In my mind, that's what I kept telling myself. You know, no one wants to employ a sober DJ. I mean, how can you DJ without drink or drugs? You know, um, and it was, you know, it was literally, it was a battle. It, you know, my and my addict was so strong and my my addictions were so much more greater than I was. So for me, there was no option, but I had to go to I go away. I had to go away to rehab. Um, I went to rehab for six months. Well, it's actually five and a half. And um, I went to Bournemouth, and I always say, I don't know whether it's the fault of ever having to go back to Bournemouth that keeps me clean. <laughs> but, um, you know, uh, it, it was a real process, and it still is a process today. You know, I'm 14... Uh, just over 14 and a quarter years um, clean. And, you know, I still, I don't have battles with drink or drugs anymore, but I have battles with other behaviours. Mm. Because when you put one thing down, another one pops up, and whether it be food, sugar, sex, like, you know, right. just you can go into flow with so many things. Anything that changes the way you feel. You know, for somebody like me, I have to work a really hard programme to stay sane. Because mm. I am, you know... I mean, seriously, insane. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, the thing called uncommon sense. Most people have common sense. You know, <laughs> I'll go to bed at 11 o'clock because you've got to get up at 7 to get a flight. Oh, I know, I'll stay up till 5 and go to bed. <laughs> you know, that's kind of uncommon sense. Yeah. You know, I have sushi on a Monday and I think it's, uh, it's the best thing in the world. I'll have it till the following two Mondays afterwards. I'll still have it every night. <laughs> right. You know, it's just extremes. Of course. And also, I think it's really interesting when you said that, you know, you, there was so much behavior that you had to relearn. And I guess, you know, you really had to learn how to socialize again, how to have sex, how to deal with your feelings, how to, I mean, it's like almost becoming childlike again and having to understand how to navigate yourself within the world from scratch. You know, when you're, when you start taking drugs, you know, your life stops at that point your growth, your personal growth stops at that point. So for me, I was, I would always be 16. You know, I started taking drugs at 16 and kind of from that moment, I was, you know, put in that jam jar of just walking around, breathing the same air in the same cycle for a very long time. And to come out of that, to actually learn people skills, to find out that you actually have things in common with people rather than what you, you shove up your nose or, or what you, you consume is a really big thing. And, you know, just to actually work out what real intimacy is, you can't fit, fathom it in your in your mind because these are stuff that every grown up person should have. But when you you're so lost in addiction and it's all that you care about is getting the the, the drugs and and being high and having so called fun, you forget about anything else. You know, I didn't have bank accounts. I didn't have. Uh, I never paid bills. I never did anything. <laughs> yeah. It was insane, you yeah. know. I, I, I think I got my first bank account at 46. Wow. Yeah, I mean, That's... come on. 
you know, when it came to paying tax, I remember my dog got ill and everyone was like, you not have pet insurance? And I was like, I'm a fucking, ooh, I swear, I'm a junkie. It's like, oh yeah, hang on, let me, let me put that money aside to pay for the dog's insurance. Get real. Come on, it doesn't work. Totally. So, Tony, what is the best thing about being sober? Oh, where do you start? Freedom. Freedom is the best thing about being sober. Being clean and sober. I have freedom. I can go and be and see and do whatever I want in a productive, in in a positive way. Because, you know, before I couldn't do anything. I was a prisoner. And today I have complete freedom. I can hold my head up high. I know that no one's up the high. Like, I don't need to look over my shoulder anymore. Uh, I live in a world where everything is above board and, and is transparent. I don't have those secrets anymore because secrets kill. And, you know, I have self-love today, which is amazing, which means I if I love myself, therefore I can love someone else. Yeah. Oh, and I never love had that, that before. I never had that before. All I had no. was self-destruction. Of course. And so all I wanted to do was destroy not only myself, but everyone else around me. So, but that's not the case today. And, and, I, and that comes from recovery. That comes from work. That comes from being okay with who you are and being in self and actually being in the moment. You know, I'm no longer thinking, you know, I would be somewhere, you know, at a, at a party, but I wasn't at that party because I was already at the next party or at someone's house afterwards in my mind thinking where I can get this from and where I can get that from. You know, I can meet people today and not wonder what they've got in their wallet that I can have. Yeah. You know, because that's the way it was. And yeah. today it's it's amazing. I just have there's so many amazing things about recovery. There really is. It's just just life is, is incredible. I love that so much. It's so, so inspiring. And for anybody listening, because I think there are a lot of people listening that are and I mean you know, I used to speak about this all the time, where people kind of think, okay, well, I wasn't on they literally will think, well, I wasn't on heroin. I wasn't seven stone. I wasn't in the gutter. Yeah. So sh- then that must mean I'm all right. I'm not an addict. But, you know, addiction is so insidious, right? And actually that we can be, I think, an addict very early on in our journey, very early on. We don't all need to be on park benches drinking cider to be an alcoholic. Exactly. We don't all need to be pissing the bed <laughs> to, to be an alcoholic of any sense. Right. You know, we all had these problems, in, and it's it, you know I was born with 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 the, with the disease of addiction. It's hereditary. My grandfather was an alcoholic. My dad had alcohol problems. But alcohol, you know, addiction is right through my whole family. So it's definitely a generic thing with us. Mm. But you know, when we judge ourselves by other people's actions, we've got a problem. Full stop. Mm. You know what I mean? If I think, oh well, I'm not as bad as that, so I'll carry on doing this. Yeah, you know, we justify it. And the, ma- the moment we start justifying anything, we know we've got a problem. Exactly. I you love that. I mean? mm. And I just think that what we, we're really good at deflecting, um, okay, well, I'm not that bad after all. Look at the state of him. Yeah, you know? <laughs> so true. And, and, I, you know, and that was the kind of way it was. You know, my friends used to do it to me and I used to do it to my friends. And, you know, I just think, oh, my God, I'm bad, but not that bad. Mm. You know, we're and because... We're really, really good at taking other people's infantries, but not our own. Totally. And I really think that the minute we start taking our own infantry is the minute that we can ask for help. If you don't open your mouth, you don't get fed. And the minute that you find, get to that point where you think, okay, I've got a problem, I need to tell someone. Yeah. 
It's, it's true as soon as you think it. 100%. You know, you don't need to be waiting to be on the park bench drinking cider. You don't need to be waiting till you've lost your house or all your teeth or the, the person that you love most or any of that stuff. You know, the minute we start losing stuff is the minute that we really need to start gaining mm. stuff. I love that. And that's knowledge and that's love and, and asking for help. You know, it's, the, it's, it's one of the biggest things you'll ever do is open your mouth and actually say, I'm an addict, I am an alcoholic, I need help. Because none of us ever want to admit it, that we've, got, we've gone that far. Yeah, oh, absolutely. It's so hard to admit. And also there's something almost, you know, like we say, how important it is not to have to wait till that point of the park bench because before then I mean I remember when I was the first I went to NA when I was 22 and I definitely yeah. had a I had a problem then but I didn't actually give up until I was and for another six years but I had a problem then but I was so embarrassed to say I had a problem because I was like well yeah. but I'm not losing anything I haven't lost any money I can afford it I I'm not as bad as that person. So there was almost like a kind of, I went into NA and saw all all these people and thought, well, I'm not that bad. And so it yeah. was like I was, then you start the battle of, am I an addict? But I, of course yeah. I was. I think, you know, that society makes, we grow up and we, we think, oh my God, look at that down and out. Look at that homeless person. Look, look at that tramp, as we would call it when we were growing up, you know, and we judge them and, you know, and we don't know what's going on with them. So the society drills it in us that we can't say that we're on that level or we're like that because we don't want our friends or our circle of friends, our so-called friends, they're not your friends if they judge you like that, to think ill of us and think, oh, my God, she's got to look at the state of her, you know, because that's what we do in society. And I think it, it's such an uncool thing to be a drunk or to be a drug addict mm. in, the, in that respect in, in normal society. Once you go into that world, it's actually, you know, people think it's cool and it's a badge of honour when you're actually in it. But, you know, I think it's so much more cooler to actually say to someone, oh, you know what, I've got a problem with this, so therefore I'm not going to drink. Because, you know, if you go out with your group of mates and there's six of you at a bar and you're the one that doesn't drink, five of those will say to you, go on, you're boring. <laughs> Why are you not drinking? But the minute you say, oh, I'm not drinking because I'm an alcoholic... <laughs> Yeah, so true. It's, it's such an amazing thing. It's so true. Come out and go, oh, I'm not drinking because I'm on antibiotics or I'm having a night off. They will badger you <laughs> and they will badger you and they will badger you till you came in till you drink because that's what we do. But the minute you're honest, you say, you know what, I'm not drinking. I have a real alcohol problem with alcohol. I can't drink. That, that's when it changes. Absolutely. Oh my God. I love that. Such, such good advice. Thank you so much. It's about being honest. Be honest with yourself and then you can be honest with everyone. I am here if, for if that. they judge you and they look down their nose on you, they're not your mates anyway. Oh, You've exactly. Have a good old clear out. 100%. I think when you change your habits with addiction, I mean, inevitably, all the majority of your friendships will change, and you have to. Oh, totally. You have nighttime friends and daytime friends. That's what I used to say. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, you know, and the difference is today. I have friends. I don't have different boxes and different rooms for different people anymore. You know, I have friends. I have friends that were with me when I used, and I have friends that are now clean. And and the majority of my friends. You, we lead by example. You know, they see you get well. They see you change your life. They see you, you know, change everything. You get a conservatory, and they all want a conservatory. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like it, 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 we lead by example, and, and people see you being well. 
They don't need you to tell them how well you are. They see it in you. They see you. the minute you get that glint back in your eye is, is the telltale sign. There's nothing better than seeing friends that have gone into the darkness and come out of it and they get that glint back and you just think, wow, look at them. And, and, and you know, you want that. And that's, what, that's what's so good about recovery is all, nearly all my friends are in recovery and the ones that aren't don't need to be. Mm, yeah. Oh, I love that. Lead by example. And you're so, so right. People can see it for themselves. And that will in, that isn't so inspirational. Yeah, you know, you can't tell someone they've got a problem because they're not going to listen to you. No. You know, the amount of people that said to me, Tony, you need help. And I'd be like, yeah, whatever, go away. <laughs> you know, and until we get to that point ourselves where we know we've got that problem and, and, and we're quite, you know, uh, and we, we come to terms with it, that's when we're going to change. You can't change anyone. What you can, I always say to people is just lead by example. If you're in a relationship with someone else that's using, you know, you choose to stay, right? You, you, you're in that relationship. You can walk away from that. Don't tell me you can't because you can. However painful it will be, you can still walk away. But the nine times out of ten, when someone's in a relationship with someone that's a really bad addict, Either their codependency will keep them there and they can't do But I always say, you cho- you, you're choosing to stay. So therefore, by choosing to stay, you need to change everything else. And it's, it's a really difficult one, but just the more you shine, the more other people will either get blinded by that brightness or they'll want some of that, bright, mm. that brightness. Oh, I love that metaphor. It's so true. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hi, I'm Vernon Kay. And I'm Holly Mackay. And we're here to tell you about our brand new podcast, Parenting Past the Pandemic, brought to you by Aviva. Yes, we're going to be delving into a whole heap of parenting topics from the generational gap to online safety. And some of the big topics which have come up through the pandemic, such as helping to manage our kids' anxieties and how we can affect the world they'll grow into. Parenting past the pandemic. Find it wherever you found this podcast. 
So, Tony, let's go on to your second defining moment. Oh, oh, I'll tell you what it was. So when I was when when I was planning my funeral every day, <laughs> I had four songs that I was gonna play at my funeral. One of them was Womack and Womack Teardrops. I was gonna be brought into that. Uh then it was going to be, the, uh, it was obviously last night a DJ said my life was going to be in there, thrown in there. But then it was going to, there was going to be, uh, I was going to get cremated to No More Drama by Mary J. Blige. Because right. I was so obsessed by that song. The words to that album, you know, I'd listen to it over and over and over again. Mm. And No More Drama kind of become my theme, to, theme tune for a while. And, you know, uh, and, uh, you know, and I would listen to it every day and it would make me cry because I knew that, I was coming to the end of life, really. I was coming to the end of the road. And every part of my body aches, and that's all I would listen to. There's no more drama by Mary J. Blige. And then, uh, about five years into being clean, I was doing a job in in Paris. No, it wasn't actually. It was in Cannes. And someone said to me, oh, I want to introduce you to someone. And I went with them, and it was Mary it was Mary Jane, and they introduced me to Mary J. Blige. And they they said, I want you to tell her that story. And I told her about how I listened to that, you know, I was going to die. Now I'm, I'm, I'm clean and in recovery and my life's changed and blah, blah, blah. And here I am in Cannes at the film festival, <laughs> DJing. And uh, Mary J. Blige said to me, that person wasn't you. And it was kind of, it was, it was one of those moments that made me realise how far I'd come. Oh. It made me really fill my life with gratitude. It was like, because up to that point I'd been, I got clean and sober. And ego had taken over again because I, I didn't I, I didn't really start to do the work on myself. What I did do was got co- complacent around recovery. Right. I got clean and sober. I'm I'm well. Therefore, I don't need to do anything else. I don't need to change. And and very quickly, I become a dry drunk. I become everything that I was before, but without the drink or drugs to use it as an excuse. Mm. So, and then going to Cannes and meeting Mary Jane and her telling me that and spending the evening with her just changed my life again. It changed my thinking. It changed my my outlook on things of that, that, you know, how much gratitude I have for life because I was taking so for granted yet again. And, you know, her telling me that that person wasn't who I was meant to be and the person I'm meant to be is the one that's standing in front of her. It was, it was a very, really, a really amazing part of my journey. It really was, you know. Yeah. To, at the end of my using, I'd be sleeping homeless. I'd be picking up dog dog ends off the street. You know, I had one pair of trainers, one tooth left, you know. And suddenly I'm in cat, you know, it wasn't suddenly, but, you know, the process of getting clean and working on myself and change took me to Cannes, to the film festivals and, and, and you know, it changed my life and, and, but I was just taking everything for granted. And then that night just made me realise that I really have so much to be grateful for. That is such an amazing story. Like, wow. And I mean, I've worked for her about six times now since then. That <laughs> is incredible. I think it is one of those things, isn't it? You, can, you, you want something so much, but then when you can get it and it passes you by, you don't even, yeah. you just, you don't take the time to kind of, see what you've done or what you've achieved or where you've got to so for you to have that moment to really just go oh my god the last five years have been so transformative and there was every chance that I wasn't gonna ever see days like these it's life-changing I think to be able to sit in gratitude is the highest form of self-love that we can offer ourselves is to 
just mm. you know be truly immersive in the present moment immersed in the present moment and grateful for all that it is yeah 100% you know there's been so many moments in my in the last 14 and a half years of recovery time that have just been just pinch yourself moments of like being being in situations that you could never have dreamed of doing you know like the so many there's so many to mention of all the people that I've worked with mm. and worked for and, and, I, and I continue to work with and I'm very blessed in that sense because you know that comes from one place and one place only and that's a place of recovery mm. without recovery I wouldn't be doing DJing in Donatella Versace's living room or <laughs> working for British Vogue or any of the other incredible stuff that I do and headlining festivals and stuff all that any of that stuff None of that would exist without recovery. No. We would not, you know, I would have been dead so long ago. And, and that's why I'm so full of gratitude today because I can wake up and, and, and make the most of a day. Do you get what I mean? I have, I've been given that chance again and it's incredible. And also you can actually experience it because if you had of DJed at Donatella Versace's living room and you were still high, you wouldn't have even been able to be in that moment or or had the experience. I would have probably ended up in the police cell for trying to steal all the stuff. <laughs> yeah. <out> the <laughs> you know, <laughs> because that, that, that's what I did. You know, yeah. that's what I did. That's who who I was. And you know, today it's about being in the moment. It's about being present, and it's about doing what the best job that I can in life. Not just about DJing, just but in life and in general. Yeah, absolutely. And when you say that, you know, you'd got complacent with sort of some of the work, and I talk a lot in what I do about inner work. What does that look like for you? Uh, well, getting complacent. Yeah. Getting comfortable. Yeah. Nothing good ever comes from being comfortable. The minute that you get comfortable within anything is the minute that you become lazy, you become, you take your foot off the, off the gas, you, you stop moving forward. And you, life is about moving forward. It's not only a fast pace, just at any pace. It's about moving forward, whether it be one foot in front of the other or whether it be leaps and bounds. It's about moving forward. And what happens is when we become complacent and we get comfortable, we stop moving forward. Yes, absolutely. Magic happens outside your comfort zone. 100%. You know, so oh, I can't be bothered to do that. I want to stay at home. Well, maybe you should have been bothered to do that because you would have met so many new people. You could have opened new doors in your life that you will never know that have now been shut. You know, it's just about going outside of that comfort zone. Not, you know, no one's asking you to to, to change your life dramatically, but it's just little changes. Mm. Little changes on a daily basis. Yes, I love it. It's like one little new thing each day. Don't walk the same street to the same shop every day. You know, just change it up, go down different streets, look at different buildings. You know, it's all about opening your eyes again. And and what we do is when we get comfortable, we don't open our eyes. Mm. Oh, I love kind that. Of just like blinkered again. Totally. Oh, I could honestly listen to you all day. Um, don't tell me what is your third defining moment. Ooh, now I wanted to be really happy and like blah, 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 blah. <laughs> blah. I don't know. I mean, there's been so many, so many. Um, Meeting my current partner, David. Oh, tell yeah. me. Yeah, just, you know, I was like at the point in time I... I, I I'd shifted addictions yet again, and I was like completely in, this, in, the, in the middle of a sex addiction, going crazy. And 
David had been messaging me and we'd been planning to meet up and then he came over one Sunday and we went, he, he, we, he came to my house. We did the deed and I, we went to the ice cream shop where I used to go to take people to get rid of them. <laughs> to the ice cream, ice cream shop. Said, oh, buy, and then go home. And then, um, <laughs> so we went there and then I said, oh, come back to mine. And, you know, within days... I knew that he was the one. I mean, I always used to think, oh, this one's the one every time, you know, like, <laughs> little addict thinking, <laughs> yeah. oh, I met the most craziest person in the world. He's got one, you know, he, he, you know, he, he, he's, he's an armed robber, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> he's definitely the one, you know, the most drawn to the illness. But with David, it was totally different. He was like, there was this aura around him that just, I, I was scared actually at first of getting to know properly because I kind of just thought, Oh no, you know, he's too good. He's too good. And, I, and we went on a date, a couple of dates, and then he moved in straight away. Within days, he'd moved in my house. Oh my God. And you just knew. I just knew, yeah. And we've been together ever since. And don't get me wrong, you know, life on life's terms is, is really hard, you know, because I'm one of these people that could be in a room with 3,000 people and I will go blinkered with a blindfold on. I will walk to the most craziest person in there. Right. You know, that's what I do. I'm drawn to insanity. I'm drawn mm -hmm. to the illness of addiction. And this time with David, I wasn't drawn to that because uh, I didn't choose him. Do you get what I'm saying? You? He, it, it just happened. And and we met through Facebook and it, it just it just changed my life. And it's, you know, we're coming up to eight years now. And, wow. And I've always been in kind of like insane long relationships of but I've always been married, like, you know, married to the illness. And this time I'm not. And it's my proper first long relationship in, in recovery, a standout one. And, um, yeah. That's incredible. Uh, it, you know, I've learned so much from this relationship. What's funny is that you just said that, you know, one of the things was stepping outside your comfort zone. And then you said that when you first met him, you were almost scared of of the kind of normality of that beautiful yeah. aura in, in, in a way. And isn't it amazing that in doing so and doing something different, doing something that scared you, you met your, the one for you. It's so, I love that. So what has being in a relationship with him really taught you? Just the fact that, you know, I, it's just made me draw myself back in again. You know, uh, as my life got busier and, and, and my career is built and built and built, you know, so does, uh, ego comes into play because ego comes into play because it's a place of fear. I, I get really fearful around success. I get really fearful around, yeah, just success in general because, you know, I've been there before and I and, and it ended in a really bad way. So this time I, I suffer with imposter syndrome as well. I always think that I'm not good enough. I'm not, uh, people are, you know, I can be on a plane flying somewhere at the front of the plane and think that when I get there, everyone's going to hate what I do. Everyone's going to hate my music. And I can I, I can build that stuff up. And what, what David's taught me on so many levels is that I, I am enough and that what I do, people are booking me for that reason. And, you know, it, it, you know, it's, I see so much of myself in him. That's what it is. Mm. That's the, the, the quality of this relationship is because he's a Sagittarian like I am. We're both firesides. Uh, and I see he, my behaviours in him and he sees his behaviours in me and we just get on really well. Not always. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. Yeah. No one, can you imagine? 
No, you know, even when we argue, it's a lesson. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And that's never happened before. And I, and I, sometimes I think, oh, am I putting it down to old age or <laughs> is it because we've been together for so long? But, you know, I, if I'm doing something I shouldn't be doing, he will know I'm doing it. Oh, I and love that's that. The magic. It is. That's the magic. It doesn't feel like magic at the time. <laughs> you know, he's like, well, I know what you're doing. You shouldn't be doing that. And I'm like, and I would deny it. You know, the old behaviours will seep in. <laughs> it's much easier for me to, to lie about anything because I find comfort in that, like I always did. But, you know, that and then suddenly the programme will kick in and I think, what are you lying for? Just admit it. And I'm like, yep, yep, yep. I've done this. And then, you know, then it, it, it evens out again. And that's the good thing about David. With David, it, I've been able to learn that I don't need to lie about bloody, the most stupidest of things. That is so sweet. And how interesting. And I love that. It's such a powerful admission. that Because I think and we never really want to admit the things that feel comfortable to us. But mm. when you have been you know, you were an addict for 28 years and lying yeah. is a massive part of that. So, of course, that's going to become, be so familiar to you. People wouldn't even ask me the time because they knew I was going to lie. <laughs> no. You know what I mean? Like, there was never a moment that I, like, you know, if you asked me for directions, I would tell you the wrong directions on purpose because, you know, that for me was like the norm. And, you know, I would lie on a lie on a lie on a lie and I would not know what the truth was anymore. And it's really difficult because we're writing a, I'm writing an autobiography at the moment and, it's just been so difficult remembering the truth because <laughs> yeah. my truth is, is not the truth. Right, of course. Other people's truths are the truth. You know, anyone, when you're telling a story, we tell the story as the, to, to be the best part, to show us in the best light. Mm. And that's not necessarily the truth. Of course. So while writing this book, I've had to get so many other people to give their opinion on certain stories because my story isn't the, isn't are not the facts. What a great thing to Other admit, though. Stories on me and how they see it. It's been very, very interesting, very eye opening. Yeah, have there been any moments where you're like, what? Uh, yeah, the whole book. <laughs> <laughs> like literally, <laughs> like the whole book. You know, there's loads of it. You know, it's like people say, it, I'm like, that didn't happen like that. And then someone else tell me exactly the same story, and I'm like, well, that's not how I saw it. And How interesting. It's, kind of, it's, it's quite remarkable, and you know, it's it's gonna, it, the book's gonna be out next year, which is incredible. Oh, I can't wait to read it! Congratulations! A really major, I mean, big publishers, which is is it's incredible in itself. Uh, for a very for yeah, I mean, they give us a really good deal, and I'm very very blessed, very very blessed that someone's taken the time to actually think, okay, we really want to invest in this. Oh, I'm so happy for you. Oh, congratulations. Oh, my God, you have been such fun to talk to and you you share so much wisdom and um, you inspire so many. And I just want to say, firstly, thank you so much for coming on. And... If you had any advice for anyone suffering from any kind of addiction, what would it be? Ask for help. Open your mouth. Tell your friends. 
and if they are your friends, they will help you. If they're not your friends, then you know they're not. Mm. You know, if you're going to judge, just open your mouth and don't be afraid to say that you've got a problem, whether it be the smallest problem. As I said before, you don't need to end up on a path bench before you realise it's a problem. Mm. And, though, you know, and I don't mean a physical path bench. I mean, you know, a virtual path bench in your mind because we all hit rock bottom in so many different ways. And I And I would say, you know, if you have got a problem, just open your mouth because you don't get fed and, and that's that's it. It's yeah. as simple as that. Yeah. Thank you so, so, so much. I have just a couple of quick fire questions for you okay. before you go. Okay, so the first one is, what is your most memorable book? Uh, my most memorable book? I've, I'm still writing it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, this is true. That's a, that's a good answer. Your favourite quote? My favourite quote? Oh, what would be my favourite quote? Oh, it would have to be one an Oscar Wilde one or, or drama one. Do you know what I mean? Or mm. oh, boy George, I'd rather have I'd rather have a cup of tea than sex. Oh yeah, I, I love that. That's a good one. I'm with him on that. Your most influential mentor? Oh, okay. So my most influential mentor, I would actually say George again. You know, mm. because I grew up with him and I, and I kind of just been around him for so much of my life and. You know, there's so many aspects to him that are in qualities that people don't see. And it's just, yeah, him. And I'd say I'd give Elton a go on that as well. I think Elton John is another one that, you know, has so many incredible qualities that you can only, only, only learn from. Your go-to feel-good film? Oh, it would be White Chicks. I've never seen that. Haven't you ever seen it? No, I think I need to. It's funny. It's an old. It's a proper like old school comedy, yeah, it's right, isn't it? Hilarious, easy, yeah. That and and the color purple is always a good one as well. I always think. Do you know what I mean? Okay, adding it to my list. A moment where you felt most proud. Getting the book deal this year, I think, and I and I also I just there's you know what I have so many moments of feeling proud, whether it be someone I'm working with, a kid who's just coming to treat, like out of treatment and wants a new way of life and I help them get on, get, go on that ladder of recovery. Those are proud moments. They're not the big oh. achievements. I mean, I have so mm. many amazing achievements, but I think watching someone get the glint back in their eye of life, that's, that's the biggest, proudest moment. Me. I, I oh my god I actually just got goosebumps that's so it's watching someone get the glint black in their eyes oh my god a song that cheers you up a song that cheers me up George Michael freedom yes top tip for dealing with stress breathe and I mean just learn to breathe literally honestly I've got I think I've, I'm 55 and I've just like the last four months I've learned how to breathe properly you know, at least stop and breathe and breathe from your stomach and not from your chest. And just breathe and, and literally just take in the moment and just think, okay, I can do this. You know, self-affirmation is a really good thing as well for stress. And the last question is the first person you called to share good news. Oh, David, 100%. <laughs> David. Angel. Kate. George, my mum. <laughs> oh, I love that so much. Yeah. And also the team who works who works with me, we we you know he's always on the I'm always guess what, and he's like what one of those moments. Oh, I love that, and it's so nice that you've got so many amazing people around you. It's taken a lifetime to get those people, and you know mm. those are, those people are you know are the ones that have been there through thick and thin and through 
famine and and drought and harvest you know they're the ones that always be there and they always will be because they they believe in you and they love you and they, they see what you can uh, they see what i couldn't see in me they could see it all along and that's why they've always been lifetime friends i love that thank you so much thank you tony for an amazing episode oh, you're welcome. 